about three months. Um, and I've done a lot of other messages in between there. So my heart is bursting. So um, this would be a good week to practice turning your clocks back for an hour. And uh, I don't think the Cowboys played a later anyway, so it just doesn't matter. Um, but open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. Um, uh, I am just so overwhelmed, Lord, by your goodness. I'm overwhelmed by you being a God of restoration. That you are a God who takes us, calls us, sanctifies us, has destiny for our life. And even if we go off the path of that, Lord, you are always so faithful to get us back. That we think of Moses, we think of Abraham, we think of David, we think of Joseph. We think of Saul of Tarsus. We think of numerous men and women in the Bible that have wandered off the path and yet you fulfilled their purpose in their life. Father, I thank you for what you've done in my life. I thank you for how you redeemed me, how you bought me back how you sanctified me and reminded me of callings. And so, Lord, I stand here humble before you, grateful for your redemptive work in my life. Jesus, I'm grateful for the cross. I'm grateful for your blood. Lord, as we spend time with this, we recognize the need of your Holy Spirit. We recognize the gift of the Holy Spirit to open up the word, to change our lives. And so as we go forth in this today, I pray that there be transformation and growth in each of our lives in the sound of my voice that God will be glorified, that our hearts will be turned back to him. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. First Samuel 17. Did I tell you to go there? All right. You ever read the Bible and you come across these little details that you sit there and say, what in the world has that got to do with anything? You know, these little... We tend to, when we read the passages, is to go... And take bits and pieces and make samplers out of them. I can do all things of Christ to strengthen me. We don't read the whole contextual part of it. I was sitting there looking this morning, because I don't normally wear this black suit, and there's this little intricate detail that somebody put in the buttons that I never noticed before. You ever read the Word of God like that, and you're coming across these passages, familiar stories, and then all of a sudden a little nugget drops out? Well, about two or three months ago, I was reading... Um, I was going through a study of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, and I, I read this little passage, and I thought, what is that? So I've been chewing on this for three months, listening to what the presence of the Lord is saying to me. Um, and so I'm going to take a little liberty here, and I'm hoping that I, I can actually hear what God is saying here. I don't want anyone to go and say, oh, that's what that passage means. It's how God spoke to me. The Word of God is alive and active. Hopefully, um, you'll, you'll hear him calling your name. Even if it's not Mark or Matthew or Luke or John or Thomas, that as you read this, the passages in the Bible, God will personalize it through his Holy Spirit. So sometimes God speaks things through his word, not a different word, not a transform, it's a transforming word, um, and I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying. But what I say today will not contradict the word of God. It will, not, it will not be wrong. It will not go against his word. Anytime you get a sense of something where God speaks you through his word that may not be in the text It'll always line up with with the word of God. God will speak to you. You can be reading a psalm and God can direct you to the Gospel of John. This is one of those passages. Uh, it's a very familiar story, I would like to assume, but the thing I'm discovering more and more is that a lot of people don't read the Bible and they don't know a story. So I'm going to tell you in a nutshell, briefly, the story of, of David and Goliath. Israel and the Philistines were warring enemies. 
And there was a man by the name of Goliath. He was nine foot, three quarters of a uh, taller thereabouts. A massive man. He was the Philistines' champion. He was the the holy field of that of that army. And he had a challenge to the army of Israel. He said, "You fight us, and if you beat me, I will be your servant." We will be your servants. But here's the deal. We didn't beat you. You have to become our servants. And so for 40 days, they stood on one side of the other of a mountain with a valley between the army of Israel on one side and the, and, uh, the Philistines on the other with, with Goliath two times a day for 40 days coming out saying, isn't there anyone that wants to fight me? This is the scene. This is the scene of the story of David and Goliath. David had a father by the name of Jesse. And Jesse said to David, I want you to find out how your three brothers are doing because they enlisted into this great battle. And I just picture this great mighty warriors that are standing there doing nothing for 40 days except for cowering every time this great man Goliath came out and challenged them to a war. They backed off and ran away. So suddenly David is, is minding the sheep and his father Jesse said, I want you to take some grain and, and ten loaves of bread and ten cheeses and go give them to the army, give them to your brother, find out how they're doing. So David walks in the scene and he sees the hypocrisy of it. Oh, they're all cowering under the banner of the Lord, Jehovah Nisi, the great banner, the one when Joshua was fighting and, and Moses and Aaron in Exodus 17 were, were up there lifting up and exalting the name. Joshua was victorious. This mighty, cowering Barney Fife standing there with their bullet, hoping for somebody to take the bullet from him and shoot him. And David walks into this and says, Hey, what will, what will the king give for some guy that will take him on? Little ruddy little kid, young, strong, handsome man walks into there. And his brother Eliab says, What are you talking about, David? We're the champions. We're the warriors. We're the ones that's going to fight him eventually. Maybe. One day. He'll back down. Forty days, twice a day, they faced the enemy by doing nothing more than coming out and then cowering and running away. So David had enough. So he said, what will they give to the person who destroys this man? And the king heard about it. And King Saul brought him into his court. And David knew King Saul. He was a worship player for him. They didn't have cassettes and CDs back then. So when Saul had a bad spirit, when he was in a bad mood, David would come in and play songs. And the spirit and the anointing of God that was on David would change his moods. And then occasionally go back and take care of the sheep. So David's there. He was known by Saul. And he says, I understand you want to fight Goliath. Here's my armor. Saul was a champion warrior. His father was a, a mighty wealthy man, a powerful man. And Saul was the king. Saul had sons who were also warriors. They were also on the hill, standing with Israel, waiting for, for Goliath to come out again and challenge the war. And then they kind of went back and had supper or whatever they did. I don't know. But they weren't fighting. And David said, I'll fight him. And Saul gave him his armor. And he tried it on and it didn't fit. So he said, I need to fight him on my own terms. This is not tested. This is not proven. I've got to go do what God said to do. So he gets five smooth stones, puts them in his shepherd bag, goes out there, slings at one time, hits the guy in the head, knocks him out cold, doesn't have a sword because that's not one of his armor. He grabs Goliath's sword, cuts off his head, takes the head, and walks over to say, I did it. Now, what do I get for this? This is where we enter into the story of 1 Samuel 17. And we all know that story, and we, we, we hear it as kids, potentially. We tell it as kids, and we leave it as a kid's story. And in the middle of the story, there was this bizarre passage that jumped out at me. In verse 53 to 58. 
And the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistine. And they plundered their tents. Eventually, the Israel gets enough nerve because their champion's dead. The Philistines are on the run. So the Israelites chase them, go into the valley, plunder them, and start killing everybody in the process. So everyone's all excited, like, yeah, we did it. Verse 55, when Saul said David, going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as Saul lives, I, I don't know. Isn't that amazing? This is the guy that played worship for him. This is the guy we'll find out. We'll go back a little bit and dialogue into verse uh, chapter 16. This guy is known by Saul. And he says, who is this kid? Whose son is he? That's what got me thinking about this. So I kept reading. Verse 56. And the king said, Acquire, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. I, I love this picture. With the head of the Philistine still in his hand. Yeah, what would you want? He still got it. It's still his trophy. He's that young. He's that, he just still doing what he was supposed to do. Ignorant to the fact that he's holding the head of the, of the enemy in his hands. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I'm, I'm the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And, I, and I've been pondering that and chewing on it and say, okay, I have several options here. What's going on here? Earlier on, David was anointed the king in chapter 16. And then Saul started going mad when the Spirit of God lifted off of him. So it's possible Saul is mad at this point. I don't mean angry mad. I mean he's nuts. And he has no clue that this guy that's been playing worship for him in his presence is, is no longer known by him. That's one possibility. And that might be the correct exegetical study. And that's what it is. We'll let the seminarians take care of all that stuff. But here's how God spoke to me. I kept hearing over and over again. Whose son is this? Whose child is this? So he brings David into him and says, David, who's your daddy? David, who's your father? Who are, who are you? What is, what is going on to him? And I thought, well, if we go back over to 16, chapter 16, go back a page, and if you read uh, verses 14 to 23, we find that David was sent into him to play and be a worship leader for him, that whenever a distressing spirit came upon him, David would play his songs just like you and I can get into worship songs and our hearts can be transformed. The fog can be lifted, as Andrew said. Something can change when we get into the presence of God. Verse 19, Saul said to Jesse, he sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. Saul knew his name. And Jesse took a goat loaded with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent him to Saul through David. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. So not only was he his worship leader, this was his armor bearer. Then Saul said to Jesse, please let David stand before me. Again, he says his name. For he has found favor in my sight. Verse 23, for whenever the spirit of God was upon Saul and, Saul took, and David took a harp and played it with his hand, then Saul would become refreshed as well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. So verse 19 Saul spoke with Jesse and said, Send me your son David. In verse 21, David stood before Saul. In verse 22, Saul sent to Jesse asking for David and even mentioned him by name. So that can't be what is going on in my heart, what God's trying to say to me about this story. In chapter 17, David once again comes before the king. He knows him. He's his armor bearer. He tries to give him the instruments. 
right before fighting Goliath in uh, verses 32 to 39, he gives him his armor. He puts him on. It doesn't work. And then in in chapter 17, verse 56 and verse 58, Saul is asking the question, whose son is this? Who's your daddy? Who, Who are you? So I thought he can't be asking the question about Jesse, at least what God is speaking to my heart. Can't be about the fact that he's Jesse's son. Can't be the fact that David has three other brothers or seven other brothers. That can't be what's going through his head. He wants to know who this kid is. Whose son is he? It's not one of Saul's sons because none of Saul's sons had the guts to go out there and to kill Goliath. It's not one of Jesse's sons because none of Jesse's sons could kill Goliath. Again, 40 days they stood there. 40 days, Eliab the firstborn, this mighty man, uh, Abinadad and Shammah. None of them were fighting, so it can't be one of Jesse's kids. It's not one of my kids, Saul is saying. It's not one of Jesse's kids. Whose kid is this? Who is his daddy? What's going on here? Who's your daddy, David? It's not King Saul. Even though David loved him, it says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 21, that he loved him deeply, affectionately. Who's your daddy, David? It's not Jesse. Jesse, in fact, in chapter 16, when David is anointed king, it always throws me off. The prophet Samuel comes and says, I'm here to, in essence, pick out a new king. Guy was disapproved of Saul. He put his anointing on someone else. He sent the prophet Samuel to go anoint someone. And he says, hey, Jesse, bring your kids. So Jesse brings all the kids, starting with Eliab, all the way down to the end. And and God keeps saying, that's not it. So Samuel said, is this all your kids? And it's like Jesse says, oh, that's right, we got one more. I'm sorry. There's, there's one more kid, David, but he's just a little ruddy little kid, and he's out taking care of the sheep. He says, bring him to me. And he saw that the Spirit of the Lord was on him, and the anointing was poured on him and said, this is the guy to be the king. Even Jesse forgot his own son. So he's not one of Jesse's sons that killed Goliath. It wasn't one of Saul's sons that killed Goliath. David, who's your daddy? Even his own brother Eliab in, in chapter 17, 28 challenges David while he's there because all of his brothers or three of his brothers enlisted in the army why was it wrong for David to be there David was the armor bearer it makes sense for that guy to be there in the war and yet Eliab didn't even receive him or respect him as a brother he challenged him who's your daddy who's your daddy David he's the God of the universe that's who David's daddy was God who makes and keeps covenant in 2nd Samuel 7 verse 4 through 17, don't turn there. David, eventually, a covenant is made. Go get the tape from last week when you read about, listen about the Davidic covenant. It was cut with this guy. He understood something happened covenantially there. Jesse was still his natural father. Saul was his, his, his uh, earthly father, in a sense, because he covenanted himself through him in love. But the God of the universe was his daddy. It was his father. It was his, he was the one behind him. In fact, in verse 26 of 17, David refers to to Goliath as an uncircumcised Philistine. Then David spoke to the men standing next to him and said, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? David is not talking about a naked man standing there. He's nine foot and three quarters. He's standing there covered from head to toe with body armor that weighs at least... 125 pounds, plus he's got a spear that weighs 15 pounds. He's not standing there naked. He's talking about covenant. He's talking about circumcision, which was the sign of the covenant. And David looks and says, I don't know whose kid this is. He doesn't have a covenant with God like I do. 
I know who my dad is. I've got the dad who keeps covenant. Papa, Abba, Father. If he had spoke Hebrew. I mean, if he spoke Greek, he would have said, Abba, Father. David is not talking about Goliath physically. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant. In other words, David is saying, Goliath has no covenant with God. Second, in 1 Samuel 17, 36, he said, Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of him, seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David is saying, I know who my covenant father is. And he's asking, who's Goliath's father? Who's his daddy? I know who my dad is. That's who I'm coming out here for. Who's your dad? That's the best you got? That's your dad? You ain't going to do nothing with me. And he walked in the anointing and the understanding that his father was the God of the universe. The one who called him and protected him. The one who was the power behind the time that he rescued him from the lion and the bear. It wasn't Saul. It wasn't in his armor. He understood covenantally before God made a covenant who his father was. You read it in his Psalms over and over again. Even if they start off as stink, 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 the world is bad, they always turn, but you're good. And your mercy endures forever. And you're, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Multitude of times David's psalms ended that way. David is standing there talking to the people in verse 45, and he said, Goliath, listen to me. You come after me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come after you. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel whom you've defiled. I come in his name. I'm his representative. I'm his kid. You've defiled him. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I will strike you, and I'll take, my head, take your head from you. And this day I'll give the carcasses to the camp of the Philistines and the birds of the airs and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth will know that there's a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give you into my hands. I know who my dad is. And that was the authority, and that was the power. He understood he had a covenant with God because he had a dad that was more powerful than anybody else in that place. You think that Jonathan, this great man of God, who eventually does a wonderful thing in yielding his kingship to David. It was his bloodline. It was his right to be king, but he yielded because he knew it wasn't God's will for him. You think he would have been out there as a warrior saying, well, I'm a represent, I'm a son of Saul. That's who's, that's who I'm fighting in Goliath. And all of Israel said, go get him, Jonathan, we'll back you up. David was the only one that understood really who was the true father who had the true covenant. It wasn't, all of his, uh, wasn't out of all Saul's father's wealth, because he was a prominent man. It wasn't Saul and his greatness, a head taller than anybody else in the place. None of that could do it. David walked in the place and said, Israel, <laughs> I did not fight in the name of my father Jesse. I did not fight in the name of my brothers. I did not fight in the name of Israel. I did not fight in the name of Saul. I fought in the name of the Lord, and it was his power, and it was his might that destroyed this man. And that's why I think it's such a cute story. They stand there holding the head still as he's talking to him. Uh, why are you asking who my father is? D- didn't you know who my father is? Okay, he's Jesse. I'll help you out. It's Jesse. But more than that, he was saying, uh, Jesse didn't do this. It wasn't being the fact that I'm a son of Jesse, because none of my other brothers could do it. This was because of God. In other words, Israel, you have a covenant with God, and I'm here to remind you of that. Israel, for 40 days you stood there twice a day taking no action. 
God had already told them to destroy the Philistine. When Saul was anointed king, that was one of his orders, was to destroy the Philistine and remove them. But he didn't do it. They were content. Israel was content just saying, well, we got this great valley. Our God is a good God. He protects us by giving us great valley against the enemy standing over there. David said, that's not good enough. God sent me and anointed me to go after you. This is David walking as he's been anointed as king, walking in there and doing what should have been done when Saul was made king. Israel, you have a covenant with God. And then he's actually asking in a different way. He's saying, Israel, do you or do you not have a covenant with God? Is he on our side or not? His brother, Jess, brother Eliab said to him, why are you here? And David said, is there not a cause? This man's defiling the covenantal partner that I have, the holy God of Israel. Why are you guys not doing anything about it? Something should rise up inside of us when God's name is profaned. I don't just mean it in swearing. I'm talking about his character. There's very few things that I'll go toe-to-toe with you off the ice. On the ice, it's a different story. You want to get me going, start telling me that God is not a good God, that he's not a father God, that he doesn't love us, and we can't come into his presence. You will meet this tenacious warrior that says, I know who my daddy is, don't you dare tell me otherwise. It's one of the things that God has grounded me in scripturally, is understanding I've got a covenantal father, but more than that, I've got a loving father who accepts me and takes me the way I am, that I've been adopted, that he's called me and made me an heir and a joint heir with Jesus. Jesus knew who his father was. He knew who his daddy was. He knew who his papa was. Second Peter 1.17, For we received from the God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came from the excellence of glory, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus started out his ministry being baptized and anointed and the Spirit of God came down him in the form of a dove and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm received. Before he did anything, he hadn't done a certain thing, he hadn't done anything, the anointing and the calling that was on Jesus' life was conditional by the fact that he was a son of God. Did you catch that? Before he did anything, he said, this is my beloved son. That was the anointing Jesus walked in. He knew who his papa was. John 12, 48 to 50, he says, He who rejects me does not receive my words, that which judge him. For the words I spoke will judge him the last day, for I spoke in my own authority. But the Father who sent me to give a command that I should say what I should speak, that he will know that his commands is everlasting like. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me to speak. Jesus is saying, I don't walk in my own authority. I'm not walking in my own name. I'm walking in my Papa's name. That's who I'm here to represent. Another one, John 16, 25 to 27. These things I've spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figurative language. I'll tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say I'll pray to the Father for you. Did you catch that? Jesus said, you can ask in my name, but I'm not going to pray for him. You have access to the Father. You do. You're his child. He's adopted you. Don't go through me. Don't go through all the other external things that religion would like you to teach to get to God. You go directly to him because you're going to be adopted as a child of his. Most assuredly, I tell you this. I do not say that I'll pray to the Father, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came forth from God. Constantly, they were trying to remind Jesus who he was, that he was an illegitimate child, born of a woman who was out of wedlock in the form of Mary, or he was just a carpenter's son, and we know your family. We do. Who are you to tell us what to do, Jesus? Jesus kept telling him about the Heavenly Father. Jesus kept telling him about his Papa. Jesus kept telling him, that's why I'm here on earth. I know who my daddy is. The Jews sought all the more reason, John 5, 18 to 20, the Jews sought all the more reason to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, 
but because he said God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father doing. For whatever he does, the son does in like manner. For the father loves the son, and he shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. My question to you today is this, is who's your papa? Who's your daddy? The answer to that question will affect every situation in your life, in the natural and in the spiritual. Who your father is makes a huge difference. We'd like to think we're not a caste society. We are a caste society. We really are. It's not that that a James J. Hill can't come up from nothing to having this wonderful mansion and build this wonderful railroad here in the Twin Cities and around the world, or around the United States. But who your father is, who your daddy is, will make a difference for you psychologically. It'll make a difference to you financially. It'll make a difference to you spiritually. It'll make a difference to you socially. It'll get you in the military. It'll get you out of the military. It'll get you into clubs. It'll keep you out of clubs. That's the way our system is built. I'm not talking about that. That's not important. But we still keep running into that's That's what was going on with David, was asking a question about, well, whose kid is this? He comes from pretty good stock. Huh, he's out there chasing them. Whose kid is this? That's what Saul was asking. But David answered different. David was saying, I'll tell you about who my daddy is. And finally he just said, okay, I'm, I'm Jesse's kid. But that's not where the truth lies. Who your dad is makes all the difference in the world. And we forget that. And that's what I'm here to remind you for today. We have a father who not only made covenant with us, but chooses to reveal himself as your daddy. In 1977, when I was in college, I, I spent the summers working at the post office. And um, in the fall, then, when I went back to college, I had a deal. In the summer, I worked 40 hours a week. And in the fall, I only had to work four hours, from 6 to 10 o'clock at night. Then I was free to do homework, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I'm doing this, and I get a new supervisor. And this new supervisor says, hey, I just, want to let you, I just want to find out why you never get here before 6 and why you always leave at 10. And I said, well, that's, that's the deal I have. I, I can come here. I work four hours. And he said, no, we need people that can work 40 hours a week. And uh, that's just the way it is. And I said, it's not the way it is. When I was hired, they told me I worked. For, he said, no, I'm the supervisor. That, that was your old boss. That's not the way it is. You don't like it. Too bad. You can quit. So I quit. And I went home. And I came home about 8 o'clock. And I was used to not coming home before 1030 unless I did a bypass um, in refreshments or something. And my dad says, why are you home so early? And I told him the story, and he got mad at me. My dad got mad at me. And it wasn't because I quit my job. He was mad because he said, did you forget who your father is? And I never forget this. He said, do you forget who your father was? My father, when he retired, retired as a postmaster. At one point in his career, he turned down being an opportunity to be the postmaster of the Virgin Islands. Another time, he had an opportunity to turn down to being the postmaster of the city of Chicago. My dad said, did you forget that I outranked this guy? Did you forget that I can get in there and change the situation? Have you taken matters into your own hand that you forgot who your own father was? That was Friday. Monday I was working back, working the hours I wanted, working with whoever I wanted to. I had forgotten who my father was. People, we have a covenant with God who has chosen to reveal himself as daddy to us. We don't have someone who can't fix the situation. Kathy is a woman who has strong faith. Some of it is from the Holy Spirit. Some of it is because her own father modeled a very a true statement that reflects the Holy Spirit um, and reflects, more importantly, the, the Heavenly Father in this. Kathy said, I knew that if I ever needed something, my own natural father would get it some way, somehow. 
I watched my father-in-law. Uh, he had to speak before the legislator, speak before the governor uh, the next day. He wouldn't start working on his speech or getting his information together until 10, 11 o'clock at night because one of the kids needed something. They needed something made. They needed a new pair of shoes. They needed something in his workshop. They needed all this other stuff. And he said, the government can wait. The governor can wait till 11 o'clock at night, and then I'll, I'll, I'll prepare for tomorrow. He modeled for her a picture of the Heavenly Father because she said, if my sinful father would do that, how much more would my Heavenly Papa do that? People, we have a covenant with God. This economy shouldn't throw us off. Our world shouldn't throw us off. We have a dad who loves us and wants to care for us more than we could ever understand. The economy has nothing to do with it. The Goliaths that you have not faced, that are on the other side of the valley, that you've been content sitting there saying, well, one of these days I'm going to get strong enough, I'm hoping he's just going to pass out and go away. We have a God that said enough. We have a covenant-keeping God who wants to do, do things in your life and my life and we've got to start turning to him. We've got to start looking to him. You say, okay, Tom, that's great. Good story. You can get us out of here now. Tomorrow I go to a real job and I live in the real world. I don't know what world you live in, Tom, but that's the real world I live in. I live in a place where people get broken and hurt and crushed. In fact, when you said about God being daddy, my own experience with dad or lack thereof doesn't mean a whole lot. In fact, I get offended by the fact that you refer to God as daddy. It doesn't mean anything. So I go to a real job and a real place, and what has this got to do with my life? I personally believe with all my heart that one of the things that, that the Holy Spirit does, besides convict us of sin, of sin is anything that separates us from God, he wants to convict us so we get back with God, that one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the Father. He wants to reveal his love for you. He wants to understand that he paid the price that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For what? To get us into relationship with Papa, with a daddy. Some of you, your earthly fathers have failed you miserably. Move on. Forgive them. Take Dave's class and learn to forgive them and turn to your heavenly father and let him be the father for you. Let him be the one that fixes those wounds. You're not going to fix them. I'm a father of six kids, and I did the best I could do, and some of my kids turned out really great, and the other ones turned out really great, great. But I did the best I could do, and I had to learn to let it go and get, move on with my life. Some of you got to do that, and you can't without God's help. I'm not simplifying it. Because they're real wounds, and they're real pain, and it's messed you up, and it's messed your marriage up, and made you lousy fathers and lousy mothers. But that's not God. And that's why we need him. And I think that's why he wants to reveal himself here and today and ask you the question, who's your daddy? Because if you don't know Father God, then you've not met God. If you've only seen him as a, ter a terror uh, terrorizing, angry, vicious, holding up the law before him, you've not known God. And it's why you're so warped and screwed up in the head and why Jesus Christ is not reflected in your life. And somebody has to tell you that. But it's not God's purpose. It never was his purpose. Jesus came to get us back to intimacy that was lost in the garden, and he wants to walk with you. And I remind myself daily, Dad, I'm going to work. You want to come to work? I believe God loves watching football. I think God loves watching hockey. Otherwise, why would I do it? I have to believe that God wants to fellowship with me. And hopefully sometimes I actually do what he wants me to do, and I go to the places he wants me to go. But I've learned to have an intimate relationship with my Father, my Heavenly Father. And in the process, it heals and restores all the natural relationships in the process. 2 Corinthians 6, 8 says, 18 says this. 
I will be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. God has created each one of us to be in loving relationship with him, and the craving in every single one of us is for nurture. So God reveals himself as El Shaddai, the breasted one, the one who wants to feed and nourish us. That comes from our Heavenly Father. Our society is filled with people wondering who their daddy is. Our churches are filled with people wondering who their daddy is. Going through aimlessly. You committed your life to Jesus Christ. You are redeemed. If you die tonight, you're going to heaven. But there's still this brokenness that's inside of your heart because it's never been addressed because you've been afraid to deal with it. He doesn't want you partially whole. He wants you completely whole. And we may never totally heal you this side of heaven, but we move from glory to glory. And I want to be changed. And I want to know God's love deeper and stronger so that when what comes out of me is a better revelation of who he is and a whole lot less of my junk and my insecurities and my brokenness and my fracturedness and my woundedness from drinking nurture from anything but God. Some of you have been searching for Papa and you still don't even understand it. You don't understand what you're looking. That's why you go from job to job and house to house and club to club and activity to activity and relationship after relationship and has never brought you anything but worthless pain and sorrow. Jeremiah said, you've dug cisterns that can never hold water and you've, you've not come to me, the living source. Some of you have been searching for your daddy when all along Papa's been searching for you. Some of you have been searching for daddy when all along Papa's been waiting for you. Some of you have been searching for daddy when all along he has been longing for you. You wonder what God is thinking about right now? He wishes that you'd get it, that he could sit next to you and could hold you and talk about what's going on. That's the relationship Jesus Christ paid for to get us back. That's why it's important we sing the song that the veil's been removed. No longer do we have to sit outside in the court of the Gentile, the court of the males, or the court of whoever. We can come freely into the throne room. We find mercy and grace in our hour of needs and saying, Papa, I really am hurting. I really need you to hold me. I don't know what to do, Father. I, I got this anger towards this person. I don't know what to do, Dad. Would you help me fix it? And you will find that he will always say, I'm working on that. Come here, I'll show you how to cooperate. He never says, no, get out of here. I don't have time for you. That's not God. Some of you say it's too good that, that God would want to be my daddy. Some of you say it's too good that, that God would want to fight my battles. Some of you say it's too good that he would love me. I understand why he loves so-and-so. I, lo- I understand why he'd fight for so-and-so. I, I've learned so much about the Father's love when I fell and when I sinned. I learned about his grace. I, I, God was closer to me in my years of brokenness. I'm talking about after I was a Christian. And I fell away from God for a while. I knew the love of the Father deeper than I ever understood. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So if you're in a position today where you're, far, you're apart from God and you're disparate from God, I'm telling you, that's good news. You're in a good place because Papa's going to chase you down even further. Jesus tells a story about, about the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to relentlessly pursue the one. He's got a pursuit on you. He has a heat-seeking missile on you. And I'm telling you, the best way to do it is just surrender and say, Papa, come hold me. And let him clean up the rest. Don't fight him. Don't resist him. Paul learned that the hard way. He says, Paul, why are you resisting me on the road to Damascus? Why are you kicking against the goats? Why are you fighting me? Because I'm, a, I'm on a mission for you, God. I know you are. But you're going the wrong direction. 150 miles out of the wrong direction. i got a different place for you. The Bible says this. I love this passage. The Bible says he puts the spirit of his son in us. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the spirit of his son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem those who run of the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. 
And because your son, and aptly we write correctly to say, and because your daughters, God sends forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. He puts it inside of you, the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. He put that in you. That's, that's why you're looking. He put that in you, longing for you to say, Dad, where are you? Where are you? So he can come and pick you up and he can hold you. I know in the natural as a father, throughout my day, I'm constantly wondering what my kids are doing, longing to be with them, longing to write. So I'll, maybe I'll send them an email. Sometimes I think I'll send an email to myself to send an email to them. And then I don't do it. But I think about my kids. Do you know that Papa's thinking about you right now? So much so that he's got, according to Romans 8, he has Jesus interceding for you at the right, his right hand, pleading the blood over our lives. He's got the Holy Spirit taking even your prayers, your mumbled up, oh God, I need a Cadillac, that's what I really need, and transforming it into, would you heal this broken heart? My, my self-worth that I have to have by having the Cadillac, God, you know what it is. I really just want someone to say, you're my son, you're my daughter. God knows how to take our prayers. Even now, all through the service, he's been interceding for you that you get it and understand how much he loves you. Now, I'm not just speaking to people that are Christians. I'm not just speaking to people that are not Christians. I'm not just speaking to people that are Christians that are distanced from God. He's speaking to all of us. This is not, this is not a message that is subject to where we are in Christ. It has nothing to do with it. It doesn't matter how many years old you are in the Lord because some of you have never got this. And that's not criticism, that's good news. Because if that's something that we need to be thoroughly equipped for the work of the ministry, God's going to bring it in. We just got to let him do that. The worship team would come up here, please. How do we come to the Father? The Bible says clearly in John 14, 6, that we come through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one. Listen to this. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah, but I have always... No one comes to the Father except through me. It's Jesus that takes us. Jesus doesn't show us the way. Jesus doesn't give us the way. Jesus is the way. He doesn't give us directions like a taxi where you go down, you know, down to Summit Avenue, turn on Albert until you get to uh, um, Portland and then take a right. He doesn't do that. He says, get in the taxi. I'll take you there. I will take you to the Father if you let me. I believe intimately, earnestly, that the Father is saying... I want to touch you today. I want to reveal myself to you today. I hear people talking to me and they say, Hey, you're a pastor. You pray for me. And, and they have issues in their life wanting me to fix by praying. We need Papa to fix the issues in our life. I can't. I can't fix them. I can't repair them. I can't change them. But I have hope that God can. And I've watched his manifest presence in our lives, in our living rooms, in this church. As I've watched God show up and say, Set aside your agenda. i got something else I want to deal with right now. So that's my exhortation to you, is to set aside your agenda. Some of you need a touch from Father. You've never known God as a daddy. You've never known that you've been adopted. You've got head knowledge but not experience. You could tell other people about it, but you've never personalized that in your own life. Or you've forgotten it. Or it's been a really long time since you've been reminded that you've got a dad that loves you. And it's been a week and it's produced the fog, it's produced it, and as Andrew said earlier, I think God wants to blow that stuff away, and he wants to deal with it. Some of you today need a touch from God because you've been plugging in the wrong places. Even though you know better, you've been getting into sin. And again, sin is anything that separates from God. So God is not going to sit there and be critical of you of how you've been sinning. Anything that separates us from God is sin. 
It's just the way it is. So those of you who aren't going out and getting drunk, the fact you're gossiping about the people in the church that are, that's sin. And it's separating you from Papa. The fact is you're now judging me because I said that people go out in this church and get drunk. Everything you've tried has left you hungry. Everything you've tried has left you broken. Everything you've tried has kept you so far. We were talking jokingly, Sarah and Marie and I were talking last week and said, but if, if we ever figured out that we have a covenant with God and we've got this, this, this God who loves us, actually, I'm sorry, it wasn't Sarah, it was Peg, that um, it would put him out of business, but it would put you out of business too. Because wouldn't you say a lot of the stuff you deal with is the brokenness and fracture that, that your patients, your clients have because of the woundedness that comes from their upbringing? that only God can touch. Some of you have been reading all the books. You've been going to all the seminars. You've been listening to all the tapes. It's time for you to get one-on-one with God and, be, and get in a place of worship of Him and understanding that He loves you. I'd like to invite you up for prayer. And I'd like some, some altar workers to come up. I really believe God wants to reveal Himself to us today, individually. Come on up. It's a revelation that comes by the Spirit of God. You can't talk into it. You can't read yourself into it. It's something only God brings. It's not by man. Let Jesus take you to Papa. We can stand on our feet, please. David understood it well in Psalm 103. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He heals our infirmities. He, he takes our sins as far as the east from the west. I love this. He says in verse 13, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. God wants to have mercy on you. Not pity in a negative way. Pity in a merciful way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that uh, before we knew you, you chose to call us sons and daughters. And then you paid the adoption fee so that we become children of yours. Hmm. 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 There are people in this place, in this church here, I know like Matt and Brenda that have been longing for adoption and, and Ching and Marie that went through the process of that. And so you understand and relate what I'm talking about. I've watched Matt and Brenda. In fact, they have a whole website, a blog dedicated just to their thoughts about going through the adoption process because they know there's a kid out there and they're longing to say, this one is mine. There's a heavenly father who has paid the price, who has paid for the adoption fees, and some of you are saying no to him. Can you imagine Matt or Brenda? You bring the kid home, the kid says, no thank you. He'll kill you, wouldn't it? We're, we're pushing him away. And even more destructive than the Philistines stand on the other side is all the other people that we keep bumping into. So, Father, I pray that by your Spirit, by your grace, that you would minister the Father's love, that you would pierce our walls, that we'd set down our guards. Every single one that's sound of my voice, no matter how long we've known them, no matter how deep we think as you do a deeper work, Lord, for this world needs it. Father, I just pray that you would touch your people. In Jesus' name, I want to encourage you to come up and get prayer. Don't leave. If you need to leave, go. My prayer blessing is this, and we'll stay as long as we need to. That the God of all hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing, and that you would abound in the hope and the power of his Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.